0: Well, hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. I'm glad you guys have found me at the Off the Bench podcast. Today is Mailbox Monday, and I'm going to take some time to answer your listener questions. And as usual, you guys have sent me some fantastic questions. We're going to be talking about the power of prayer and asking the question, does God change his mind? It's a great question. We're going to go straight to the Bible for it. Also, we're we're going to touch on a little touchy topic where a neighbor feels taken advantage of by another neighbor. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. If you're watching on YouTube today, you can see that I am again in another place as we continue to move things around here at Firmly Planted Family. I'm glad you guys are joining us. If you're interested in what's happening at Firmly Planted, we would love to hear from you. And the best way to find that out is just by going to fphrc.org. I wanted to let you guys know if you're in the area, this is my plug for some of the great classes that we've got going on here in the fall. They start the second week in September. And one of the brand new programs is an aviation program. So if you have a child who is uh, 13 years of age or older, sometimes we make exceptions and they'll take a 12 year old child in that program. But 13 years of age and older, we've got a brand new aviation program. It's being taught by a wonderful friend of mine who has been a professional commercial pilot for over 30 years. And he's gonna be teaching the basics of aviation. If you have a child who's interested at all, maybe they thought they want to be a pilot, or they're interested in working as a career in aviation? Check it out at the Homeschool Resource Center. Registration for that is open right now, and you will see lots of other classes there as well. Go to fphrc.org and click on the class schedule. All right, let's jump into this today because uh, I'm interested in what you guys are interested in. So we're going to set politics aside for just a minute. Well, never mind. Let's not set it aside. Let's talk about how ridiculous it is for half a second that the government is indicting President Trump over and over and over again. I don't know if you saw this, but President Biden, ooh, I I shudder, I hate calling him the president, but President Biden uh, put an image out, a little short video of himself, basically saying that he's a thug and he's taking all of this joy in seeing Trump indicted. And what they're trying to do is bleed him dry. Let's not make any mistake about it. This is an absolute political witch hunt. They hate Trump. They hate what he stands for. And listen, there are a lot of things that that Trump does or did that I kind of sat back and scratched my head and thought, well, that was not, you know, that wasn't the sharpest move ever. But what they're doing to him is reprehensible. And I don't know what it means for the election. I mean, obviously, they're doing this because they don't want him to be able to run for office. They don't want him elected. And the best way to do that is to bleed him dry, is to take away all of his money, make sure he doesn't have any sort of a cushion to fall back on and make sure that the narrative of his run for office is completely overshadowed by his legal trouble. And so if his if 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 the focus is on President Trump's legal trouble, then we can't focus on Biden's legal trouble, which by the way is pretty it's pretty extensive. I mean the 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 Biden crime syndicate continues to just roll on and what are they doing? They are persecuting and prosecuting President Trump, I have no faith, and I mean it, no faith in our criminal justice system anymore. We're no better than Russia or communist China when we go after political opponents like this. And believe me, and I I absolutely do think this is true of Trump, they're going after him, but what they're really after ultimately is every freedom-loving American in this country because they want to make an example of him. They want you guys to know, listen, this can happen to you. If we can do it to this guy, we can certainly do it to you. So watch what's happening Pray for President Trump. And again, I haven't even said, you know, who I'm going to support for president because I think it's too early to say, but I have, but I will jump out and say, I'm not going to support Pence. That guy, I don't know. I mean, I've never met him. I'm sure he's a nice human being. I'm sure he's a great dad and a wonderful husband, but I do not like the way he's rolling over on his former boss and it's disappointing and discouraging. And that's all I've got to say about that. All right, I'm going to go to Megan's question from Texas, and she wrote in to talk about prayer. I've asked, uh, I've answered this question, it's been asked before, but I thought, you know, I haven't done it in quite a while, and she wants to know if God changes his mind when we pray. Does God change his mind? Does God plan to consume and then change his mind after Moses prays and intercedes for the children of Israel? Does God know what he will do before we pray for things or for someone? Well, the answer to that question is found in the word of God. So let's start there. Revelation 22:13. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In Ephesians chapter one, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In other words, God had a plan before the foundation of the world, so before you and I ever got here. This is why I've been saying forever and ever, you guys, do not have to be afraid of the Rona. Because God has, I mean, I'm not saying run out and, and, you know, play jacks in the freeway. But if you're taking care of yourself, if you are, uh, you know, eating a good diet, if you're exercising, you're doing those things, then you're taking good care of your body. And you know what? At that point, if you end up with cancer, at that point, if you get in a car accident, at that point, if you got COVID or whatever, our, our days belong to the Lord. And the Bible says over and over again in the Psalms that our days have been established for us, and decreed before we ever took a single breath. And that's what the Ephesians is saying also, that God had a plan and a purpose before the foundations of the world. In 2nd Samuel twenty-two thirty-one, 31, it says this, the way of God is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. In other words, God's ways are perfect. And he has a plan and that plan is going to, it's going to unfold in front of us History is really his story. It's the unfolding of God's plan through all of human history. And it's going to unfold because God has a plan and he's not going to change his mind. Let's look at Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So the question that you're asking is uh, with regard to a, a passage in, in uh, Exodus. And I'm going to see if I can find it here. Exodus thirty two fourteen, 14. Let me read it for you. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken on. Uh, spoken of bringing on his people. So the question is saying, if we pray, can we change God's mind? If we pray, can we change what God was going to do? And the simple answer is no. Prayer does not change God's mind, but prayer does change circumstances. So prayer changes things. And so how can you change your circumstances without changing God's mind? Well, first of all, in order for God to change his mind, he's going to have to improve upon himself. In other words, God's going to have to been, God's going to have to look in the mirror and go, you know, Heidi just asked me of this thing, and I realized I was going the wrong direction with that. I had the wrong perspective, but I heard from Heidi in prayer, and now I've changed my mind. That's not going to happen because I am a very imperfect human being speaking to an omniscient, all-powerful, created before the beginning of time, God in heaven. And so I'm not going to change his mind. So then you could ask yourself, well, if you can't change God's mind, then how can the circumstances around us be changed? So we know that God is not going to improve or change his plan, but we change our minds. And I think that's really the the main purposes of prayer. So we've already established, right? We just read 2 Samuel 23, 22, 31. We've already established that God's ways are perfect. He has stated in Isaiah 46 that his plans are going to prevail. So what do you do with a passage like Exodus 32, 14? I love this. There are lots and lots of great commentators on this. Um, Actually, Pastor Jack Hibbs has a really great message on this. I've heard John MacArthur talk about it. But the Hebrew word nechem, which is translated repent or change one's mind, it also can mean sorrow or to bring comfort. In Genesis 6, 6, this is the first time that we hear this in reference to the Lord. It says the Lord regretted that he made man and it grieved his heart. So the Lord regrets that he makes human beings on the earth, but his heart was deeply, his heart is troubled. Like it grieved him that he made human beings. And so if if you look at the passage on its face, you go, huh. So God made a mistake. He made human beings and then he was like, well, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. It looks like he's having a second thought about it. But since we know that God's ways are perfect, we've got to look for an alternate understanding. At gotquestions.org, they said, if we apply the secondary definitions of the word translated regretted, we understand this verse to mean that the wickedness of man brought great sorrow to the heart of God, especially in light of what it was going to cost him in order to restore human beings. What was it going to cost him? It was going to cost him Jesus. It was going to cost him the son of God. It was going to cost him his only son. And in, in, in recognizing that that was going to be what brought about the justification for our sin and the the chance to be reconciled with God, it grieved him. By now, you guys know my grave concern for the future of our country that is basically at risk because our public high schools and our universities are pushing communism and socialism as if they were beneficial to the nation. If you want to teach your students how to defend the history of this country, we've got a great opportunity for you. You can learn from a teacher who has founded a college that rivals the Ivy Leagues, an activist who has fought to protect religious freedom, and a lawyer who's argued before the Supreme Court and won. Michael Ferris brings his knowledge and expertise working within the American political and legal systems right into your home in a brand new 30-week course designed for high school students. The lectures are packed with personal stories and thoughtful questions from this seasoned expert, and your students will form a thoughtful stance on the American ideals this country was founded upon and leave with the tools to defend that stance pre-enroll by August 15th with the promo code Heidi to participate in live Q&As with Mike Ferris. Remember, there are co-op and single household options available. This is fully online and it's self-paced. Content for the fall semester releases August 3rd and Unit 1 is available for free when you create an account at Lumen.com. That's L-U-M inn.com And don't forget, use the coupon code HEIDI15, that's H-E-I-D-I-1-5, by August 15th to save 15%. Jonah 3.10 is another example of the Hebrew word nakam. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he, th- he threatened. In other words, God took comfort in the fact he did not have to destroy the Ninevites as he said he would. He did not change his mind. He already knew that they would repent. His actions are always part of a bigger plan that was again, according to Jeremiah 18, made before he created the world. And so prayer, if prayer doesn't change his mind, then you got to say, well, then why do we pray? Why do we pray? Does it change our circumstances? Yes, it does. God delights in changing our circumstances in response to prayers of faith. Jesus tells us that we should always pray. And not lose lose heart. Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and they should not lose heart. First John chapter 5, starting at verse 14. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, this is the the most important part about this verse. According to his will, we want to pray into the will of God. In other words, we want to say, Lord, if I don't understand your heart, if I'm praying for something that's not in accordance with your will, change my heart. Verse 15, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have requests that we have asked of him. So think of it this one. I love this illustration. A father plans to give his daughter a car when she turns 16. He knows that by that time, she's going to have a job. She's going to be active in, in church. She's going to be active in her school, and, he, and she's going to be able to pay for her own insurance. But he also plans to wait to give it until she asks for it because he wants her to value such a gift. But at age 11, she begins to beg for a car. She pleads and bargains. She gets angry on her 12th and 13th and 14th birthday when there still is no car. But then she matures a little bit and stops asking. And at 16, she approaches her father in a more thoughtful way, explains her need for a car, expresses her confidence that her dad will take care of this need. And in a very short time, he joyfully gives her the keys to that car. Did she change his mind? No, he always planned on giving that to her. But she needed to ask. This was part of his decision, and in a similar way, our heavenly Father invites us to ask Him for everything we need. God wants us to be in relationship with Him, and I think uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus praying that God would uh, remove. He said, "Remove the cup from me." He did not. He he knew that he was going to suffer. He didn't want to suffer, and no human being has ever had probably a more profound understanding of the sovereignty of God than Jesus. And yet no one ever prayed more fiercely. No one ever prayed more effectively. Even in Gethsemane, when Jesus requested that option, he requested it in a different way. And when the request was denied, what did he do? Not my will, but yours. He bowed to his father's will. And so the reason we pray is because of God's sovereignty, because we believe that God has it within his power to order things according to, To his purpose and that's what sovereignty is all about ordering things according to god's purpose so does god change his mind no but does prayer change things yes it does the promise of scriptures is that in james chapter 5 verse 16 the prayer of a righteous man is both powerful and effective what prayer most often changes is the wickedness and the hardness and the stubbornness in our own human hearts and you guys that alone is reason for us to pray Uh, at jonathan edwards famed theologian has a sermon titled the most high a prayer hearing god and this is what he said with respect to god prayer is but a sensible acknowledgement of our own dependence on him to his glory as he hath made all things for his glory so he will be glorified and acknowledged by his creatures and it is a fit thing that he should require this of those who would be subjects of his mercy. It's a suitable acknowledgement of our dependence on the power and mercy of God for the things that we need, but suitable, a suitable honor paid to the great author and the fountain of all good. With respect to ourselves, God requires prayer of us. Fervent prayer, many ways, tends to prepare the heart. So he's saying that when we pray to God, it puts us in a posture of a listening to him and then a softening of a heart so that we can receive from him what he wants us to receive. And so our prayer to God may excite us, according to Jonathan Edwards, in a suitable sense and consideration of our dependence on God for the mercy that we ask and a suitable exercise of faith in God's sufficiency so that we may be prepared to glorify his name when the mercy is received. All that God does is for his glory first. And second, it's for our benefit. So we pray because God commands us to pray and because it glorifies him and because it benefits us. So that's a great question. Uh, a lot of times I think we we have um, we struggle with our prayer life. Certainly this was true when my nephew Bobby was in the hospital and you guys heard me talk about this many, many times. We cried out to the Lord. We were like, Lord, please you know, restore this young boy to health, restore his body, restore his mind and, but at the, at the end of the day, we would go back to the Lord and say, Father, our hearts are grieving, our hearts are broken. This is what we want, but not our will, but yours. Why? Because we want the will of God, knowing that that is what will always be the best thing for us. God's heart and God's will, that's what we want. And that is what prayer helps us to achieve. It softens our heart to say, Lord, here's what we're asking for. But nevertheless, just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not our will, but yours? That's a great question, Uh, Megan in Texas. Thanks for asking it. An anonymous listener in Virginia. I'm going to read this. Uh, By the way, when you guys write to me, please keep your questions as short as you possibly can. I'm going to try to summarize for for anonymous in Virginia the best I, I can. She's asking basically about a biblical response to living next door to someone who doesn't have any boundaries. And she said that she... And her husband have been, they just moved kind of out to the country. They're in a really kind of a stressful time because her husband was just recently retired from the Marine Corps, which, by the way, thank you for your service. Uh, you picked a great time to retire from the, from the United States uh, military. That's for sure. But they're they're, you know, in the middle of a transition. So new job, new place to live, new farm, new locations, new neighbors. And she says, as Christians and a Marine Corps family, we're always happy to help a neighbor in need. But lately we have one neighbor who is taking advantage of our time and resources, and so the chores on their own farm are being un, uh, going undone while they work on their farm, and her husband says she's being ungracious and that she's not loving her neighbor as herself. And she says, "Listen, I'm tired of shouldering this load of our property while you go over and help the neighbors." And while my husband always says yes," and she says he volunteers, you know to help them without asking her, she continually feels more and more uh, irritated and frustrated she wants to know am i just being selfish i feel like i'm being taken advantage of so there's a couple things that i think are really important yes uh, first of all we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right and so we want to have good relationships with our neighbors also we know that good fences make good neighbors and what is a fence a fence is a boundary and so we want those boundaries to be established and so here's what i would I encourage you to do. First of all, you got to be on the same page. You absolutely want to be on the same page as your husband on this thing. And so I would just talk to him and say, hey, is it possible to say, we super want to help you guys. We can help you on Wednesday afternoon and Saturday morning. Those are the days we can help you. And so save up the things that you need help with and we're happy to come over. I promise you, if you'll establish a boundary with your neighbor and still demonstrate to them that you want to be a good neighbor, that you want to help, then not only is that going to help you get the things done that you need to do without creating resentment in you, but it's also going to help your neighbors to recognize, oh shoot, we forgot, you guys have a farm too, or you have a life too, or you have a family also. And I think it's easy to feel taken advantage of when we don't communicate so much. And this is family relationships, this happens in marriage, this happens with our children, it happens at work. When we don't communicate our expectation, Then say, Heidi St. John's going to have an expectation of my neighbor or maybe an expectation of my husband or my children. If I don't communicate what that expectation is, then the minute something goes wrong or the minute they don't meet my expectation, now I'm upset with them. But what should have happened was I should have communicated up front. This is what I'm thinking. And then gotten, especially in marriage, right? I might say, this is what my expectation is. And then say to my husband, what do you think? Is that a reasonable expectation? When it comes to a neighbor, I probably would just be more inclined to just lay out the expectation because what are you doing? You're creating a healthy boundary. And that's a great rule of thumb with neighbors. We know that good fences make good neighbors. Why? Because we've just put a boundary in place. All right, you guys, that's all I've got time for today. Thank you so much for writing in to me. If you would like to reach out to me, you know how to do it, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. If you are subscribed to this podcast, I'm gonna tackle a couple more listener questions. So stick around for that. Everybody else, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll consider if you're in the Portland-Vancouver metropolitan area, check out our aviation class and a couple other great courses. We are teaching automotive this year. We're teaching woodworking. We are bringing back the trades. And we've got a brand new facility with a lot more space. And we would love to have you join us. So check it out. Just Google Firmly Planted Family Homeschool Resource Center. And it will come up. If you've got any questions call the Resource Center and we will walk you through that process. Have a great day, everybody, and I will see you right back here again tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.